Welcome to the HR on the Offensive podcast, brought to you by Lace Partners. Morning, good afternoon, and good evening, and welcome to the latest HR on the Offensive Podcast. It's me, Chris Howard, here with you, wonderful listener, once again for our latest podcast. We've been doing this for so long. I've I've even forgotten the number of uh, podcasts that I've done. I think I must I must be up to about 140. But if you've been with us from the first podcast to this podcast now, as always, we thank you for being part of it. And today's podcast, we've got ourselves a bit of a talent focus, and that's why I've roped in my talent ringer, which. Uh, is going to ask me some questions today and that's David Pacifico from our team. How are you doing Dave? You all right? Very well thank you and uh, great to be on the show again. How do you feel about me calling you a talent ringer? <laughs> you can call me whatever you want it's all good today. <laughs> <laughs> well it's interesting you say that because today's focus is on talent and we've got ourselves an industry a thought leader in the talent space and when we were talking just beforehand I said how would you like to be referred to and Adrian Thomas who joins us on the show said you can call me whatever you like <laughs> but we're calling him our, our TA thought leader. And of course, he is a non-executive director of the RL100. And I'm sure we'll touch on bits of that today. But Adrian, thank you very much for joining us. Welcome to the show. Chris, I'm delighted to be with you. I, I love the introduction. <laughs> <laughs> well, we love having you on. We're really, really pleased to have you on. And we, we essentially, today's pod is going to be picking the brains of Adrian about all things talent. But in order to do that, I think it's probably good if we get a bit of background for those of our listeners. I'm sure many of our listeners have heard of you and have seen some of the stuff that you've done, previous roles that you've been working on. But if you can just give us a little bit of a, an overview as to you, your background, some of the businesses that you've worked in, things like that, and your spe- areas of special Specialism. That'd be a nice way for us to kick off, I think. Okay, Chris. Well, a very quick run through is my earliest exposure to the talent acquisition industry was was way back when, when I was a teenager, and I was I set a company up to write CVs, and we used to advertise in the Daily Telegraph, in the in the lineage, and I just had a, a secretarial bureau working with me, and my apprenticeship at, at Michelin Tire Company was useful for for a little bit of electrical knowledge, but more importantly, I stole their application form and then repurposed it as a CV details form. So as a young 17-year-old, <laughs> I was getting people to fill in essentially a Michelin Tire Company application form and then getting back from me a number of hard copy because it was before printers and, and, and CVs that um, they then deployed and hopefully got themselves some great jobs. So so I've been in the industry a long, long time. And in that time, I've worked some of the world's biggest uh, companies, both in HR, initially HR. And when we realized that our recruitment could be done much better, it was me who was caught with his head above the parapet to start setting up in-house recruitment teams. And I did that both private sector and latterly in the public sector where I ran senior civil service recruitment across all government departments. Uh, and that was that was great fun. In the last few years, I'm more of a portfolio advising companies how to optimize their recruitment offering and, and also advising some of the suppliers in the industry on how to engage with in-house recruiters a little better than perhaps they've done in the past. So Adrian, I mean, you've obviously seen, you know, a huge series of changes in the TA industry over the years. But what I've noticed in recent times is, my goodness, there's a hell of a lot more disruption that's been happening. With the clients that you've been working with in recent times, I mean, what's the one big thing that's keeping them awake at night? 
Well, I think that in the last few years, there's been a huge confusion around, obviously, with the still the fallout from the recent pandemic, the whole bit around where people work and what impact that has had around hiring. And, um, you know, in the good old days, we all understood you had to think about a travel to work area. Well, that travel to work area is quite different these days, but it's different by different industries. And we've also seen some industries um, respond better over the last few years to things like the um, some some of the cost of living, so the pandemic fallout. We've seen um, even basic things like salary, TA recruiter salaries. We've seen them boom and we've seen them go bust in the last few months, but it's not been consistent. So it's been by geography, it's been by industry. So the, I think the whole picture is quite confusing at the moment. I get many emails each day from colleagues in the industry saying that they are looking for for TA business partners or, or recruiters, and there's just as many emails saying that they're ex- or they've just been made redundant or expecting to be let go. Do I know of any opportunities? So I think there's a whole lo- load of confusion around in the industry at the moment, and it's, it wouldn't be a bad idea for TA leaders just to pause and think about where they are and what their offering is and how they can reach out to those who are having a hard time or how they can how they can react to their organizations not in the way that perhaps people have done in the past with a knee-jerk reaction of go well we need to cut costs let's let people go but how can we actually repurpose some of the ta roles that we've got within our own organization very confusing picture at the moment it's an interesting one one of the questions i've just written down just as you were talking there agent i'd love to get your thoughts on it how attractive is the role within the roles within TA these days. And the reason why I'm also asking that is when we talked previously, uh, when we were talking about running this podcast, is you talked about sometimes how the TA function is seen as the poor relation of HR. So can I just get some thoughts around that? And then that idea of how attractive is that function? Is it is it becoming, is it less attractive than perhaps it was two years, three years, four years ago? Is it just as attractive to people entering in the market as well as obviously those people that are looking for roles that you just mentioned? Well, if I just um, just refer back to my own career, I started in HR and then moved into TA recruitment or TA resourcing recruitment, whatever you want to call it. I'll use them all interchangeably as we talk through this podcast. Yeah, That's quite unusual. It's more common to see someone join a recruiting function or a TA function and then want to progress into HR. So when I say that TA is often the poor cousin of HR, the poor relative, it's it's because I think people see a career into HR as more valuable than a career into TA. I disagree, by the way. I think talent acquisition and people really good at it and really know their, know their mustard can offer organizations huge amounts of, of value. I would be, you know, I wouldn't dare say that they should substitute for HR but I said they hold an equal place at the table to the benefit that a great HR team can give. So, you know, for me, TA, um, you've got a question, why is it that entry route and why isn't it the destination? And I think part of that is because we haven't got in in-house situations a very good training program to bring people into junior TA roles. So we often then go out to the agency world and hire in agency mm. staff that are surplus or wanting to move out of the high-pressure sales environment into the high-pressure in-house recruitment environment because you do need a thick skin in in-house recruitment. But we tend to go 
go seeking them in the agency world. And so the, the flow of people tends to be from recruitment in the agency world into in, in-house. And then, you know, it's doing some kind of training around HR, like CIPD qualifications, and then into HR. And I, I'm speaking quite a lot at the moment, every opportunity, where I think we should be readjusting our focus in terms of staff management in the TA industry to the training that we provide our, our junior people to enable them to have a career in TA and to become you know, the gro- really global leaders of, of talent acquisition that I think some of people in the industry have the potential to do so and take that seat at the table that's equal to HR and not subservient. Yeah, it's a really good point about that seat at the table. I've noticed we're doing some research at the moment with other global heads of TA. And it's quite interesting to your point around the flux between sometimes the heads of TA do have that seat at the HRLT table and other times they're actually then starting to marginalise it again. I mean, what in your view, where where should TA sit and what, what do you see as the additional value it can offer an organisation? Yeah. Yeah, great question, David. I mean, ultimately, when I say seat at the table, I don't mean the board. Um, the board has got a, a set of skills which often doesn't include HR either, and it's it depends on the organisation and its funding model as to what that board looks like. When I talk about seat at the table, I talk about the management table. Yeah. Who's yes. driving the management of the company, not just the HRLT table? I think that's a given that uh, TA should be around that, but also helping to manage the company. And I think that's part of where we need to look back at the training and the skills that TA leaders need. And that's, um, for me, far more around uh, data, um, analytics, mathematics, and being able to compete with an organization's finance function, the commercial function, not not compete in an adverse way, but compete in terms of their ability to influence the company direction. And having, having got those skills, I think there are now tools out there, and we perhaps can move on and talk about some of the tools I think that a mature TA organization can access that can really help an organization drive its people practices, its recruitment, really having an uh, an impact on the bottom line and and being far more proactive in their approach than the reactive sitting back and waiting for a line manager to say, hey, I've got a job that needs filling, which to me is, is, is vintage TA, not modern day TA. It's really interesting, just as you were talking there about the skills that are needed, I want to touch on those in a minute. But one of the things that we talked about previously was you'd said um, when we were chatting before about how the TA function perhaps needs to be a bit more honest with itself around its maturity. I'd really love you to touch on that because it sounds like you, we were just sort of getting into that when you were talking about the, the function itself and, and the, some of the skills that it's needed. But we need to talk to our listeners about this idea about the TA function being a bit more honest with itself in terms of its maturity. I've seen such varying practice and and chatted to people who think that they are industry leaders and you know i often think wow you're doing a great job but just around the corner there's someone doing something which is way ahead of of where you are and i don't want to be critical i want to i want to help people to learn from their peers and learn from others who've who've discovered a way to influence the board who've discovered a way to bring a slightly different practice or discovered a way to get more influence in their organization perhaps taking ta not just in terms of acquisition 
acquisition, but TA in terms of internal TA retention and influencing things like the brand of the organization, the EVP, perhaps also having a, a greater role in how you measure performance in an organization and what looks good. So all of these, all of these things, I think, uh, are things that I would put into the melting pot and say, these are the targets that TA, great TA leaders and, and people in TA should be aspiring to. But quite often I see people measuring themselves and saying how successful they are just based on um, their latest, you know, four weeks of hiring. And mm. are we great? We've we've hit a target. But that target is now that's good. But there was a book once that went that said from good to great, I think I can't remember who wrote it. So, and Poros. There we go. <laughs> so I think it's about understanding where you are, being honest where you are, knowing what the industry can offer, which means getting away from your desk and understanding what others in the industry are doing, learning about um, the very latest TA practice and becoming part of that innovatory thought mm. leadership, not just reactively filling roles, which is fine for some, but um, I, I'd say that's the way you're not being on it if you're thinking of yourself as an industry leader and all you're doing is saying, I've got a great fill rate. Yeah. So just on that point and how you move up that analytics maturity curve to demonstrate greater performance. What, what are some of the examples that you've seen in other organizations where they're actually really highlighting and communicating that additional value add? What are some of the kind of performance metrics that they're articulating differently? Well, I, th I think that um, in the good old days, you take um, you take a you know a, a bundle of CVs to the line manager, and they would literally just hold them in their hand and almost weigh them, and that they would say how great the campaign has been without even deciding whether any of the CVs are suitable, just the weight of the CVs. So thinking today, you wouldn't have that as any kind of measure of great success. You would have the uh, the ability to target the right skills in the right area. You would be measuring the quality of the of the applicant the speed of the applicant there's a great measure from predictive measure that indeed use about the number of impressions that an advert has that they will predict almost you know with 100% accuracy whether an employer will recruit from a, from a particular advert based on just on the number of impressions that ad gets so who's measuring impressions in that you know at the moment that that their ads are getting or are they just measuring applications that are coming through. The reason why I, I, I highlight that is because the earlier that you can identify whether your recruitment um, is going to be successful or unsuccessful, the sooner you can take corrective measures. And the sooner that you can automate all of this, you don't need a recruiter to be taking action. If the page impressions are falling below a certain count, then you can have automated activity that will help correct that. So this isn't about you know recruiters learning how to program or recruit is learning how to code. It's about knowing what is available and what's out there. So, you know, an, an organization valuing some of the data that recruiters can, can access. So, for example, there is an organization, there are several, several organizations. I just happen to be an advisor to Horsefly, which provides labor market analytics. And those labor market analytics will tell you almost to, to, to post-code, or certainly to town level, the skills, uh, the skills mix 
by geography, by gender, and and also by ethnicity in dozens and dozens and dozens of countries worldwide. Now, I know of a Scandinavian energy company, a renewable energy company, that used this data to confound their previous thoughts about where they were going to build their wind farms and their onshore mm-hmm. stations, because they were building where the skills didn't exist. By moving to where the skills existed, they credited their TA department with over 40 million euros worth of savings. Now, that's a great Amazing. win. And that's the TA department who understood that labour market analytics relevant to their organisation was available, was out there, and they learned how to access that information. They're not just posting adverts. That's really interesting. That's a fantastic case study as well to to learn about. And one of the things, we've just released a, uh, a white paper couple of months ago around people data and analytics and one of the sections in it talked about how people analytics teams were taught were, were were had told us that they need to get better at telling telling stories with the data and i get the impression that that's kind of i just want to get your thoughts on that because that sounds like if you've got a ta function that can be better at interpreting the data and linking it to business objectives and supporting that bottom line we are going to do this because this is what it is going to result like being able to tell that story is really powerful isn't it totally agree it's no good having the data if you can't communicate it if you can't get into the room where the decision makers are so having having the skills having the data having the tools because there's lots of other tools it's just one tool having having the right tools is one thing being able to deploy those tools is a, is another and that's where i talk again back to this honesty piece about where you are in an organization where your level of maturity is in that organization and what you're going to do if you not if you've not got that influence that's going to enable you to make a difference how do you get that influence and I, and i think that that leads you on to a whole host of mm-hmm. well who do i talk to as a ta leader do i sit here and just receive instructions or am i fighting my way into the leadership of the organization how do i tell them i've got these great ideas and this great great information that's going to help them deliver their projects more efficiently make the company more profitable how do i how do i do that and for me that means that the ta leaders of they aren't just great recruiters they're unbelievable communicators influencers they're able to access the market as innovators and thinkers they're able also to take advantage and when they see an opportunity in an organization, when the door is partially open, even if you just get your big toe in it, how do you do that? And how do you do that effectively? And then how do you deliver? Which means you've got to be good on things like program management, project management, as well as all of these other skills. It, today is a time when TAs never had more requirements, more skills put on its back than, than any other time before. Yeah, I mean, two two things also strike, strike me through that point is around i've noticed in the market in recent years that there's been um, an influx of talent intelligence solutions that uh, lots of companies are getting very excited about so you've got companies like eightfold.ai skyhive techwolf horsefly analytics to name just just a few of those how do you see ta functions or talent teams really harnessing that data and those kind of solutions in a really impactful way because i think there's a lot of confusion in that market around what it is and what's the value it will deliver the organization 
Yeah, I mean, I was not so long ago, four or five weeks ago, talking to a room full of TA leaders from some very large organisations. And one or two of them had a um, talent intelligence lead or analytics lead in their team. And they were speaking about some of the benefits they were getting from having really skilled individuals who can access data, data analytics, but also able to translate them into usable data into language that the rest of the team could take to its clients. Just whiz straight to the end of that conversation was several other organizations decided there and then that they were going to sacrifice a recruiter role in their team to create a data analytics mm. lead because the value far exceeded having a recruiter. Now I thought that was that was you know brave thinking, but I think it's the right thinking. I think at the moment there is so much happening and the the analytics and data analytics is, is progressing and access to it and what it can do is progressing at such a speed and then just layer on that generative AI. I think it's very important now to get, I don't think you can get in front of the game. I think it's already so far ahead, but to yeah. try and play as fast a catch up as possible. And I would certainly, if you've got room in your team and your, your budget allows, then certainly have a, an analytics role in your, in your uh, TA leadership team. And building on that point, I mean, we've been doing some, as I say, research into this area around how organizations are moving towards a skills-based organization. And one of the themes that's coming up with some of the companies that are, I would say that are on the leading edge is almost blowing up the traditional model of the talent offer. We're traditionally pretty siloed in, in many uh, organizations from talent acquisition, the who's going to hire the folks, to the talent and the learning teams that are going to develop the folks. Some of them are now creating kind of sub agile teams called talent intelligence teams, where they are taking a very data driven approach, leveraging external insights, as well as internal skill insights, and combining that kind of professional skill set, in order to address and really focus on real skills based problems within an organisation. I don't think anyone's actually cracked that code on skills at this, cha at, at, at this moment. And there's a lot of experiments that are happening in organisations. But I certainly see a much closer convergence now between multidisciplines around from our finance teams, our tech teams, working much more closely with talent acquisition and our talent development teams in order to solve the most important talent questions in an organization. I don't want, I'm just wondering if you've seen other yeah. examples of that. Yeah, I agree, David. I think I've certainly seen a lot of teams combining under the talent title, their, their TA or recruitment teams together with their learning and development teams so that you're bringing internal mobility, internal movement, training, um, development of, of people once they've joined you and, and maximizing their potential. So, you know, skills is incredibly important. It's really, you know, my heart, you know, dies every time I see 10 years experience required. It's only going to be a matter of weeks, I think, before we see somebody uh, in a job description that says must have chat GBT five years experience. But <laughs> 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 uh, um, in, in an advert. Absolutely, skills is so important. And it's not being given the profile it needs as part of that honest evaluation of where a TA team is. I think it's about working together with the HR and the learning teams and development teams inside. I think retention is the new recruitment, and that speaks directly to skills. Retaining the people you've got, motivating them is far cheaper than hiring. We had a very interesting conversation last week with a group of 
with another group of heads of TA about pay and salary and whether you should put salary on job adverts. There was a great conversation that's been going on for 20 years. But, um, you know, it's one of the things that if if you were in, if you were talking to sort of a, a relative or a friend and they asked you because you're in the industry for advice on how they could progress, you wouldn't say to them, you've got to really slam dunk your next performance appraisal if you want to get a pay rise. You'd say to them, you probably need to move roles. And and to me, that's that's a sad thing, that the way to progress quickest in terms of salary progression is to change jobs, because it is the fastest way to mm-hmm. do, move your salary upwards. Now, I think that um, there's a huge opportunity for some organisations, the bigger organisations, to change that and to manage internally their internal recruitment and development of, of uh, staff so that they can have careers, their skills can grow. You recruit for potential and then you develop that potential into something that actually appears and you get the return. But if you don't pay people, if you re- if you restrict them to these little pay curves that people have in organisations, guess what? They'll just move to your competitors and they'll move more than once and they will end up having 20, 30% annual growth on their pay when you're offering two 2.5. So I do think skills is, is critical and it's critical to retention and retention in my in my view could be as important if not more important than recruitment. The question around like people having to move in order to to get that salary bump is that not just I don't know if I'm going a bit too macro or meta here so please just rein me in if I am is that not just a cultural thing as, as us as a society that culturally that's just what every organization is just led down the path and everyone talks about we need to invest in our people and but the reality is is that culturally businesses just they just accept that that is just the norm i don't know what, what thoughts well, on both of you on this actually yeah i think chris it's a rather ironic situation when i entered the workplace in the 80s you expected to pretty much work for the same employer all your life and retire from them and you got great pensions as a, as a as a result these days i think the um, people entering the workplace now don't expect to stay with the same organization so it's rather ironic that i'm saying that retention is the new recruitment when actually i think the expectations of the workforce is that they will move between roles and i just see that as an opportunity for companies to change that narrative and if you are serious about hiring for potential well why would you hire for potential and then not realize it why would you let the people leave? So I think there is some serious thought in organisations about that needs to happen around how you can uh, grow the people that you've spent a lot of money hiring. And, you know, there shouldn't be any difference between recruiting internally to externally, because what you want is the best person for the role. The advantage the internal person gets is that they know the culture and they know the individuals hiring, but they should still compete equally with people outside. But if you're hiring for potential, then you've got to you've got to help train that potential. So coming together of TA and L&D, I think is inevitable in larger organisations. As a build on that, I was speaking with a global pharmaceutical recently, and yes, traditionally they, they they have a very advanced and mature talent scouting model for external talent. But what they didn't do, even though they had you know a fair bit of skills and workforce data internally, is internally scout for talent. So they're pivoting some of their TA model now to actually scout for internal talent, like you say, as a part of the retention for career mobility and all of that good stuff. But well, the other thing that 
with the in a lot of skills today the half there is a lifespan that is a lot lower than they used to be because of the changes in in technology and so forth and what they're also starting to look for now is not only scan for skills but also assess people's ability to be curious and to have strong learning agility and it's those kind of factors that are so important in organizations now in order for those people to truly thrive in this really kind of ambiguous world in which we live in so those that can demonstrate that kind of learning agility and the capacity and the propensity to learn i think is going to stand organizations in really good stead going forward yeah i, I agree i mean i i just don't want to talk about myself but i did a i did a science degree chemistry followed by postgraduate toxicology qualification mm. but uh, throughout my career when people have said to me what was the benefit of university it, i say it taught me to think it taught me how to research it taught me how to write concisely yeah. it was softer skills that were the biggest benefit coming out of a mm. hard degree if you see what i'm saying and i, I do think that's more more relevant now than ever before the the ability now just go back to that getting that place at the table the ability to influence the ability to communicate the ability to actually put yourself in a in a place where you'll be heard those aren't hard skills those are skills those are soft skills that need to be learned and practiced but they're absolutely essential for a uh, effective ta leader to get in today's world mm. No, that's absolutely fantastic we are just out of time for this evening that's gone really quick we could have got at least another hour out of adrian i think but that's not the format of the these podcasts so we'll have to just get him on for future ones adrian it's been absolutely amazing getting your thoughts and putting the world to rights with the with all things ta so thank you very much for joining us today thank you so much for having me chris and david <laughs> no problem absolute pleasure chatting with you again adrian yeah, it's been good having you on, Dave, my uh, partner in crime, as always, to talk all things TA. You can, of course, find this podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Um, just search for HR on the Offensive podcast, and we are right there across all of the major platforms. You can also see our back catalogue of podcasts throughout our website. So if you go to lacepartners.co.uk and then have a look onto the Insights section, you can find some of the podcasts that we do. We also have white papers. I referenced the uh, People in Workforce Analytics white paper earlier on, so you can read that one too. And uh, some the latest blogs that we've got as well. Once again, thank you to Adrian, and we hope that you will join us next time on the HR on the Offensive Podcast. Bye-bye.